0: Hello, Lila.
1: Hello, Devin.
0: Welcome back to Ritual Space.
1: Mmm, I have tingles.
0: Mmm, tingles from my toes to the tips of my fingers.
1: Pretty much just in those parts, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That might be a circulation problem. Oh, I think I do have a circulation
1: problem, (laughs) but that's okay. I am in Bali. (laughs)
0: What does it mean to be together? It's a question we've all been asking ourselves a lot lately. A global pandemic and the necessary social distancing required to stop the spread have taken many of our usual methods of being together offline. Drinks, dinners, shared spaces, hugs and handshakes are all hard to come by, while technology pushes us into increasingly online forms of pseudo-togetherness. In a year where most of us have held more conference calls than hands, it's become a vital question. What does it mean to be together? Hi, I'm Devin Person. I'm a 21st century wizard and the host of this podcast is a ritual, an ongoing magical ritual that uses the power of podcasting to transcend time and space to help every single person who listens in, which, yes, includes you, dear listener, join us in a collectively manifesting a slightly better reality. As a podcast and ritual concerned with the magic of time, space, and place, we dance around this question of being together a lot. But today we'll explore it in a new way with some help from my dear friend Lila, host of the podcast Horizontal with Lila, a show that explores intimacy, recorded while host and guests are all, you guessed it, horizontal, lying down, prone, supine, whatever you want to call it. While Lila has previously joined the ritual for her very own episode, How to Take Life Lying Down, today she's bringing along her listeners. Just like when the Jetsons met the Flintstones, or The Simpsons Met the Critic, today's ritual is a crossover episode between This Podcast is a Ritual and Horizontal with Lila. We're merging streams of consciousness, connection, and conversation to see if we can find not the answer, but some answers to the question of what it means to be together, especially when we're far apart. You see, Lila is in Bali, and I'm in Kentucky. According to conventional notions of time, that means we're 13 hours apart, separated by thousands of miles of land and ocean. Yet through the magic of this podcast, we were able to share space with each other, spend time together, to chat, catch up, and chart new terrain in the map of our friendship. So what does it mean to be together? Can the pixelated approximation of a lover's face on a cell phone screen ever match the intimacy of an in-person experience? Are the new modes of being and togetherness we're creating with technology different, but equally deserving, of our attention and respect? Or are they just pale imitators of the real thing? These are the tangled webs of reality Lila and I will be wrapping ourselves in today as magic and intimacy intertwine when this podcast gets horizontal. (sighs)
1: Hello, horizontal lovers and ritualists. Horizontal is the podcast about sex, love, and relationships of all kinds, recorded while lying down. This ritual is horizontal, is part of my season four, the season of experiments. Usually I have a guest or two reclining next to me, sharing a pillow. But this season, in the era of COVID, my guest is often lying down across the world from me, as Devin is here. And we have an intimate, vulnerable long-ranging and long-form conversation that unfolds over the course of three to five hours and gets divided into two to four episodes. Typically, the first half of our conversation is available in all the podcast places, and the latter half is available exclusively to patrons of the Horizontal Arts. In the latter part of our conversation, which will be episode 124 on Horizontal, we discuss a bit of ghosting wizardry, dating reviews, self holds and parenting our inner child then i tell devin a story about being photographed nude in a nest and the most miserable sexy dance party and devin conjures a three-point spell for alchemizing connection across distance one way to gain access to episode 124 is to become a patron of the horizontal arts on patreon patreon is a portal to the work of the modern day independent artist like the love child of crowdfunding and a subscription service. A monthly contribution to my Patreon unlocks over 50 exclusive episodes. And a monthly contribution to Devin's Patreon offers you access to magical rituals centered around numbers of, shall we say, modern-day interest, one of which I participated in. The number was 69, and the episode is titled How to Pleasure Yourself and Others. Last night, I listened back to it for the first time since recording it, and I got turned on, so I highly recommend that episode. To become a patron, navigate directly to patreon.com/horizontal with Lila, And patreoncom thispodcastisaritual. is a ritual. The other way is this: as a rare gift in honor of our collaboration. You can gain access to the full episode if you head over to Devon's. This Podcast is a Ritual feed, even if you aren't a patron of the Horizontal Arts. Which means, if you are listening to this on Devin's feed, you get the whole thing right now. The experiment of this episode, as Devin described, is a mashup. And this is my very first mashup episode. When I think about mashups, I think of some intrepid songstress like my friend Megan Tonjes and the way she puts two pop songs in a blender on YouTube and makes something creamily delicious, both capturing the infectious joy and the hookiness of the original songs, and somehow also more than that, the alchemy of two entities enjoined, creating something that does not exist before they are enmeshed. In other words, magic. In this part of our conversation, I tell Devin the story of Hamilton and the Hondalorian, and we talk about connecting across distance, phone calls versus video calls, charting new territory friends and rerun friends, the nutrients of digital communication and joy of sexting, the seamlessification of dating, resilience, rejection, and confidence, and icing on Tinder. Through the magic of the interwebs, come lie down with us in Chenggu, Bali, Indonesia, Louisville, Kentucky, and wherever you find yourself, horizontal.
0: Now, this is awkward because normally I'm used to handling this part, but I'll, I'll just hand the reins over to you.
1: One of the magics of this medium is that we can say a word and you at home can say it with us. And through the mystery of time and space, we can be saying this magic word simultaneously. Devon, what is today's magic word?
0: Today's magic word is engagement.
1: Engagement.
0: Ready? Mm. One two
1: three engagement. engagement
0: now it's funny because I was thinking it was going to be connection and at the last moment it shifted
1: I like how there's multiple meanings because at first I thought of the enlivenment right the the lively participation mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I thought of a ring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I, I had the opposite where I was, I was intending it to be, I've thought about this in my social relations lately of who actually engages, like you can spend time with somebody and they're just talking about themselves the whole time and they don't ask you a single question and it's a very different energy mm. when you feel truly engaged with somebody else. But then of course, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, this sounds like I'm proposing. <laughs>
1: Actually, that's something that I've noticed about my current lover is that he doesn't ask me a lot about my history. He asks me mm-hmm. a lot about recent, like what I experienced. He'll, he'll download after almost every sexual session, which I really appreciate, and he'll ask mm-hmm. me what I enjoyed and he'll ask me what didn't work for me. And so he's curious and engaged about what we're participating in together and our recent history but the fact that he doesn't ask me about my previous life or my thoughts on <laughs> the universe or my friends my my dreams gives me Your pause history. my history yeah why doesn't he want to know about my history
0: I mean, I can't answer that for you. I can't read the <laughs> mind of a, of a stranger. But I, I, I will tell you that's one of the things that I've thought about with engagement is it's really fun when you get to know new people because you can ask so many questions and get to tell so many stories about your own self.
1: I know. And I have all these great stories.
0: It, it, it it's It's a slightly different feeling when it's much later on and you start telling a story and you're like, oh, wait. Have you heard this one? They're like, "Yeah, you've told this to me like five times." You're like, God damn it! <laughs> no. So, but that yeah, means they think, were
1: listening, and they and they means, heard yeah. you before. Yeah, it means
0: they weren't listening. You just weren't listening to yourself, talk, Which is is a problem I succumb to from time to time.
1: Oh yes, yes, that can be a problem.
0: So I don't. I I I would say that's maybe not a great sign, but. Mm. I think <laughs>
1: No, I don't it's think it is. It's also one
0: that's, you know, it's hard to top from the bottom with that. Like, you ask can just me
1: about ask. myself.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. You can, you can just say it bluntly. Or if you're like, hmm, well, what do you like about this thing? And then they answer, and you're like, I, <laughs> I like. like... This. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, like, it's, I, I, I rarely find like the other person gets the clue in that. I guess you could say, what what do you want to know about me? So then you're asking them a question that then leads to more questions.
1: I like that. I like that. I told him a story that is really dear to me about how my darling friend, John, loaned me his car, loaned me his Honda Lorian, as it's named now. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: that is a truly great car name
1: i know to go across the country in 2017 and do my horizontal does america tour now not many people would loan you a car their car for two months you know to to put 10,000 miles on this is i think an incredible
0: that's that's a pretty big gift
1: it's an incredible feat of friendship and he is massively generous and I love him so much and I was telling my lover this story of how he loaned me the car and then when I got back I, I was like I want to do something for this man I want to do something so special and surprising something that nobody has done for him and I know he's he's the biggest theater nerd that I know particularly musical theater So I asked him what shows he dreams of seeing that he hasn't had the opportunity to see. And of course, they were the two most highly sought after tickets on Broadway. It was Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen. Tickets were running for both of them, I think, In the 500 to 1,000, you know, range. It was just (laughs) just insane in bananas. New New
0: York loves that mob mentality of like uh, (sighs) something's value is what the crowd decides. And then you whip people up into a fervor and they'll stand in line for 10 hours to get a, a donut. I know. I just didn't. I didn't even think that was possible
1: on Broadway, but they did it. Uh, they, they they made Hamilton into such a thing that people would pay it, that they were able to to make that mm-hmm. the market value of those tickets.
0: Well then the value is that you got to go see it it gets more valuable because other people didn't get to go see it and you got these expensive hard to find tickets.
1: Exclusive, right. The exclusivity of it and the the bragging rights and et cetera. Yeah. So I was like, how am I gonna do this? And I and I have a connection. To someone who owns the cast album record production company. Mm. And I've never asked him for anything. And this time I reached out and I... You've
0: been keeping that Broadway connect in your back pocket.
1: (laughs) This time I reached out and I told him the story of what this man had done for me. And he knew all about my podcast and everything. And Mm. I said, do you have any hookup? Can you help? And he said, yes, but it won't be free. I need you to give me three dates next year because it was in December that I asked him about it, December 2017. Give me three dates in January and February, and I can't promise.
0: Something about the line, and it won't be free, makes me think of like this weird Faustian bargain of, <laughs> yes, yes, I can get you the Broadway tickets, but it will cost your
1: you soul. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I gave him the dates he got back to me and he said okay it's gonna be 200 bucks a ticket and I was like oof okay all right it's worth it the date is say February 3rd and I tell my friend John clear your day that day is mine I own that day mm-hmm. and that happens to be and I, and I tell him to dress up and that happens to be a day of a grand blizzard in new york <laughs> massive blizzard and i actually it's so bad i actually call the theater and i say is the show still on they're like the show is still on so the show must go on indeed as they say and so i get all dolled up basically wearing a ball gown and in my russian princess coat and and we we trapeze through the snow and first I take him to my favorite restaurant and I treat him to dinner so he thinks oh it's you know she's taking me out to a nice dinner in thanks that's that's great and it's in midtown but on the east side and then I mm-hmm. take him to that Japanese bookstore the biggest Japanese bookstore in New York because he loves manga and things like that and he had been there but always enjoys it and then we stomp our way across town, right? So I take him on 43rd Street all the way across to 10th Avenue, which is further than the theater, and then up on 10th Avenue. So we, we've passed the theater district. We're now really in Hell's Kitchen restaurant row. And then we go up to 46th, and I double back.
0: So tricky. I
1: think it was 46th. And then... As we're passing the theater, it's, you know, it's a huge crowd and it's everybody's kind of jostling and I'm, I'm acting annoyed. And then when we get in front of the marquee, I stop, I look up and I smile at him and he goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's amazing.
1: I go to the box office And the tickets are in the fourth row orchestra. I have (laughs) never sat in the fourth row orchestra in my entire theater-going life. I'm used to being in the last row in the nosebleed seats. And I'm very
0: happy. The obstructed view where you have to like crane your (laughs) neck around a pillar.
1: And I'm very happy to be there. We're in the fourth row orchestra. And he is just I wish I could describe to you the look on his face, right? It is just absolute Mm -hmm. disbelieving, joyous amazement.
0: (laughs) Well, that's that's one of those perfect surprises where you get to lead up to it and have your little subterfuge and have that moment of reveal. And then the person gets to marinate in it because suddenly whatever they thought was happening that night for the next few hours, they're like, oh, my God, I'm in the theater. This is what's happening tonight. This is amazing. I can't believe I'm here.
1: Yes, yes, yes. You know, we took
0: selfies.
1: <laughs> and and also, because of the way that I like to experience things, I hadn't ever listened to the music. So I was mm. hearing everything for the absolute first time. He knew most of it by heart, but he mm. looked over at an early point in the show and realized that I was experiencing it like a child, right? Just Mm -hmm. having never, I'm raptly attentive because I'm trying to pick up as much of it as I can because I've never heard it and move so fast. And so then he got the enjoyment of vicariously experiencing it for the first time through me as well.
0: That's that perfect feedback loop where when somebody is passionate about something, you can enjoy giving them that thing, and then they can enjoy you experiencing it for the first time. And it's so nice when two people can open up and engage with each other in that kind of feedback loop.
1: It was a perfect evening. And it felt like a fitting tribute to the generosity of his friendship and what he had done for me. And so as as my lover and I were on this trip over New Year's, and we were out to dinner, I wound up telling this story. And he was like, yeah, that's great. Okay, can we go back to the hotel now? <laughs>
0: mm. See, I like the story within the story more than I liked the story. <laughs> well, yes.
1: Yes, that is that is part of and, the point. And uh, well, the lack of engagement, right? The lack yeah. of real interest in what I'm sharing. And what I'm sharing is what deep friendship means to me how mm-hmm. I like to honor the people in my life that I love. There's a lot of meaning that you could derive from that story about me as a human and and what I care about, the way that I prize connection, surprise, quality time, mutual enjoyment, play, if you're looking also, for that, if you're interested.
0: Also, just... Uh- the beautiful side of new york i think that that's it um you know having moved out of new york this this last year i was transported by your story and could really feel the yeah like there's nothing like going out in a blizzard in new york because you feel like wherever you're going you earn it when you get
1: there oh my god so
0: amazing and you're so present and there's not like oh should we go to that other place or that other party or should i you're like no we're all here every one of us in this bar is now we're all survivors and we're gonna just like we're the last humans on earth because it's a a little bit snowy outside but we've made it
1: I mean, it makes everything feel like an epic adventure to be tromping through that virgin snow before anybody touches it while everybody's just inside ordering Seamless, but you're out there and you're making footprints. You are living life in the raw. It's
0: great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's delicious.
0: Well, we once upon a time were able to tromp around the city together and we've since been flung to the the far corners of the earth. Mm. Uh, I'm in Kentucky and you're in. You're in Bali. And when you first reached out about doing this crossover episode, I was so delighted. And I think we slowly gravitated towards a very interesting theme, which is how do we create not just connections, but how do we create this engagement across distances and especially with the digital divide where there's something that just doesn't feel the same about a Zoom call or a text message or any of the ways that we have to relate. I don't think the technology in itself is entirely to blame, but I think it presents a challenge that has to be tackled with uh, thought and ingenuity to really truly like engage and maintain that relationship.
1: Is it possible for something to feel visceral and corporeal when it is not possible to be corporeal Mm. when it is not, feasible to be in person and maybe maybe not and maybe there is a a holding of this paradox or a holding of two simultaneous truths that it is not as good and also there is great Depth and benefit that we can find from it, and and maybe a third one that's like this is all we have right now.
0: <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> yes, I I would have preferred a Coke, but Pepsi's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I I think the idea of corporeal is interesting of how do, how do we physically sit together? But I think there's also that idea of substance, and I have thought for a while about visits from old friends. And there's times that you visit an old friend or an old friend visits you and you sit around and you talk about remember when and oh yeah, and what happened to what's his name? And then they leave and you're like, okay, the next time we see each other, I don't think we're going to tell any stories about this time. Like This was all just reruns. Yeah. And then there's the other experience where a friend visits you and they're only in New York for one night and you go out and you end up singing in that japanese karaoke restaurant that you jumped into when you were walking by and then you meet someone there they take you to this like rooftop where you, you you watch the sunrise and like you have this amazing magical memorable night and i think even with phone calls there's the difference between just the perfunctory hi how are you how you been and the calls that continue to build and develop that relationship and um Maybe, maybe again, just keep the flame alive. So uh, when when you can hang out in person, there'll be plenty to light up. But um,
1: I've thought a lot about this, even when, even before this distance was mm, untenable or or amplified. out of our control or amplified. Yeah. I, I've thought a lot about the kind of friendships in which you report back, mm. right? You're you're re- doing a reporting or an inventory of your life. What's happened since I last saw you? Oh, this and this and this. And then you you fill each other in and that is your experience together, is this catching up. But it's really a yep. a telling of stories and a, and a reporting as opposed to the relationships where you are experiencing things together and they're centered around experiencing things together. Bingo. And sometimes I've found myself just being in a default mode with a certain person even when we can see each other even when we could we could just get together and we could like we could be at the met but we're in a coffee shop just reporting what we've done outside of our relationship rather than making memories together
0: oh yeah i mean you you can you can sit across from someone and have the most yeah perfunctory catch-up just here's here's what I've been doing. There's what you've been doing. Oh, it's it's getting a little bit late. Time to go. See you in seven months, I guess. Or I think the I, I think phone calls are intimate. We'll probably circle back to this, but I'm thinking about people that fall in love at a distance. And you can stay up all night talking to someone and continue to mind new territory and new ideas and have one of those conversations where you're going to the bathroom and you're making yourself a snack and you're getting in bed and you're like, you know, the phone is cradled the whole time until your your battery is dead and you're never sharing physical space, but you're charting new territory together in that shared realm.
1: But I'm not even talking about perfunctory because i don't i don't have a lot of perfunctory relationships like that Mm. i've mainly pushed those people to the outer spheres of my planet friendship Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. they're they're out in acquaintance orbit yeah and so i don't i don't have i don't devote a lot of time to those people but there are people in my life who i have fallen into a pattern of when i see them we wind up telling each other stories about what's happened since the last time we saw each other. Uh, okay. And and that doesn't mean that it's not deep or connected. In fact, I just had a phone call, and it was a phone call, not a video call, because mm. there's something, it's odd. My mom only wants to have video calls with me because she really loves to see me. But I feel actually much more intimately connected when we're just having a phone call, and I'm not looking at myself and seeing how my hair is, and what you know, <laughs> and I'm not uh, angling, concerned about how where I'm holding the phone and and getting a good angle for the person to see me, and making sure the light is okay, and I'm I'm not backlit, and blah blah blah, all this other stuff.
0: There's a whole science of that too. One, your eyes are not looking the way that eyes would normally look because you're looking at the screen. So you're looking slightly downward, which makes you look more guilty and less trustworthy. And Mm. then the, even though we, I mean, it's amazing that we have this like lightning fast video and you could be on the other side of the world and we can see each other in what seems like real time. It is magic. But those little glitches and those moments where it just slows. All of that sends very weird signals to our brain. So it's like, even though we're not consciously aware of it, it would be like having a phone call with horrible hiss over the fo- the whole phone call. And you're like, wow, I feel so drained. It was really hard to hear that person. Your brain is trying to figure out all of these signals that it should normally be able to get from eyebrow raises and small micro movements of muscles and all of these things that are hard to get on a little blurry video screen, it's incredibly taxing. And so after an hour long video call, you feel way, way, way more drained than you would after getting coffee across from someone.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh, or-
0: please please continue. I, I had misunderstood your point about the uh, the report.
1: Yeah. Or then having a, a phone call. So So this phone call that I had with Tiana a few days ago, was really juicy and really mm. exciting and really satisfying. I was sitting in a in a cafe, sitting on a crate, eating a parfait basically and 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 talking to her and and it was a catch up because we hadn't spoken in a few months, which is not usual for us. We usually speak a lot more often. So there's a lot to share and there was a lot of energy and momentum and excitement behind sharing because it's like, oh my God, well, who have you, oh, you're not with that guy anymore. Oh my God, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, what is he doing? Well, this is bananas. Oh, and this person got blasted on social media. <laughs> and and then the internal stuff, right? The, like what's what's been going on inside me, the downs and the ups and the way that I've been talking to myself and what I want to create and what I'm dreaming of for the next chapter and, and timing. And there was a lot of juice and it felt very... It felt very nourishing. It did feel like quality time. Quality time and physical touch are my top two love languages.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I like them together. (laughs) To me, quality time usually denotes in person. And I remember thinking about creating a course around connection. And I was talking to Kenneth about it. And he was encouraging me to make sure that I include digital connection because especially for the younger generation, even before they were forced to, these digitally mediated means of connection like through gaming, through Instagram, through, through video, new ways that people are connecting. And if I, if I create some kind of hierarchy Of connection that looks down on digital connection, I'm not gonna help people very well. There is something in me that really feels that for me it's not as good. Like I would yeah, I would choose any day to be walking with Tiana on the West Side Highway path than, you know, sitting on a phone call with her from across the world. You know, I'd much prefer to be in her presence to to see her, to feel those micro expressions, to, to be able to touch her and give her a squeeze. And, you know, all those things are so valuable to me.
0: Do you know the, the phrase, the medium is the message by uh, Marshall McLuhan?
1: I have heard it.
0: The basic idea is that the mode that we engage with something is more important than the content. So The difference between reading a book and watching a movie is far greater than a book about birds and a documentary about birds. Like, even though you'd think that, like, oh, a trashy romance novel and uh, a, a book about birds are like totally different, and a documentary about birds and a book about birds are like the same subject matter. So it's the same. But it's actually what's most important, he's saying, is it's. The mode in which you're communicating and receiving this information. So, what would if that holds? Tr-
1: what would be that this? difference between the mode of reading a book and the mode of watching a, a documentary?
0: When you're reading, it's happening totally in your mind. You're you're looking. Your your eyes are scanning these symbols that you read as words and uh, letters and words and sentences, and you're creating information in your mind. And even if you're looking at images, they're not moving whereas there's a whole different language of visual media that has edits and jump cuts and voiceover and different things that all combine and are absorbed by your brain in a different way but i'm curious mm. if what we've been talking about how it tracks like is a boring conversation with a coworker in person more alike Wait, how do I how do I make the the chart work in my head? So like, yeah, like like an in-person conversation are they all more alike in a certain specific meaningful way than these other forms of digital intimacy? Like mm. if you if you if you stay up all night texting back and forth with somebody, maybe that's an amazing connection in its own right, but it's still categorically different than if you sat across from them having that conversation.
1: Yes, uh, but not But mm, I, I am also trying to figure out how to parse it. But I do not think that the surface level water cooler conversation will be more nourishing just because it is in person than the deep all night texting conversation, even though texting feels so much more removed. Because for me, as I, as I think about intimacy, as I try to define it, as I begin to work on something that could be spun into a, a TED talk, I think about the need to see deeply, see the person deeply, and feel deeply seen in return.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you have that, but it is mediated by a telephone or a device, a computer. I still think that will be more of an antidote to loneliness than a quick chat with your barista. Yeah. I mean, that's not a great example because I had very deep Connections with my baristas. I was
0: just I was I was just thinking it's almost like it's like different vitamins, or it's like maybe it's like vitamins and fiber. Like you could have a diet that has all the vitamins you need, but it doesn't have any fiber, and it's not gonna be good for you. And I think maybe that's what we're experiencing right now, where it's like, oh, I'm in quarantine and I'm seeing friends on Zoom calls and meeting with coworkers and having phone catch-ups with family or friends or lovers, whoever it might be, but we're missing some of those daily roughage of standing next to people, asking someone what time it is, talking to a coworker about Game of Thrones, all of these things that feel banal in a certain sense, but probably are also very important. And like I was saying earlier, they're a feast for the senses, especially the unconscious things that we notice in person and we can observe a more complete view.
1: I would say we're getting most of our nutrients, but we're missing something like iron. Yeah. So we're anemic, right? So yes. we're, we're getting most of what we need because most of us, well, that's not true, actually. According to studies, many, many people would not say they had one close friend. So we can't say that most of us do. But many of us have deep connections with people that we're not physically with that we can talk to over Zoom or on the phone or text. And so we're getting a battery of nutrients. Let's say we're getting our vitamin B and we're getting our vitamin C and maybe we're not getting as much vitamin D because we're not getting us the sun, but but let's say we're getting most of our nutrients, but we're missing something that is essential to, I'm going to say, human thrival.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think what you said a moment ago is really interesting about that idea of intimacy being I think maybe you use the word totality. Like I thought about when you're on a video chat and that that frame is just this rectangle. It's just like here's my here's my face and a little bit of the room I'm in. And if I walk away to go to the bathroom, you don't see that. Whereas if you spend even if you if you meet somebody and you're having like a 72 hour weekend whirlwind romance where you just Don't leave each other's presence, you get more of a view of that person. Like, even if it's still like the new part of a relationship and it's all excitement, and you know, they still have to go to the bathroom. They, you still know Mm -hmm. where they are as they move around. They have to eat food. Whereas when we only show up in front of the screen, it is just the barest part of our existence. Yeah. And I think that makes it hard to. Because we all see our own full experience constantly. We see all of the ups and downs and all of the, you know, boring parts and the gross parts and the sad parts and the mundane parts. And when you only get the catch-up report, you're getting this edited version. And so I think there is something helpful to being with people and seeing the parts that they can't keep off camera.
1: And maybe that's what you mean about the fiber, right? It's like mm-hmm. the the time that I'm sitting in the chair outside my room eating my lunch and looking at the rooftops, you know, that's something you don't get when we're over Zoom. That's something that right. you can't get unless you are in my company sitting in that chair next to me. I have been thinking a lot about and conceptualizing this distant form of connection or virtual connection. There's something desiccated about it. There's something mm-hmm. that is is devoid of most of its juice, and so I've been thinking about it like space ice cream. When you were a kid, did you go to the... <laughs> <laughs> not,
0: yeah. Or no, and Dots is different. No, I know it's space ice cream. No, yeah, not dip and yeah, Dots. Exactly.
1: If, if when you were a kid, you went to a science museum in the United yep. States, then you probably got this silvery packet of space ice cream. And, you know, space ice cream sort of tastes a little bit like dried apples. It's a little bit thicker and it's a little bit more st- styrofoam like and and when you bite into it it is sweet it is Mm -hmm. sweet it will hit the sweet spot it will hit those sweet taste buds but there is something lifeless about it there is something very very missing and it is not ice cream it does not feel like ice cream and so that's that's how i've been thinking about it it's like it's a different thing. Actually my lover says this about about vegan cheese and stuff like that. He's like, "Don't fucking yep. call it cheese." You know? If you just and I was so I said when I when I ordered something and it had vegan cheese on it, I was like, "Would you like to try some of my puffy goo?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of my savory puffy goo and yeah. and he was like "Ah, oh, yeah sure <laughs> yeah. because he he just doesn't want to think he doesn't want to think of it as cheese because that will just be a great disappointment because he's going to compare it to the memory of all the cheeses that he's ever had in his cheesy life and, <laughs> and,
0: and that's a really good point because i think It's easy to get caught up on this criticism and sort of like nostalgia. You know, every generation is like, ah, when I was a kid, things were great and people were real, and now it's gotten worse. And (laughs) it's, it's very easy to forget that there's amazing things that you're not experiencing. Like someone from an older generation, like, oh, have you ever had the thrill of, texting nudes back and forth with a, a recent mm. lover all night long like that can be a lot of fun mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I'm sure it was great to use the same pickup line over and over and over again at your local singles bar but it's also fun to connect on tinder with somebody and have a sudden date that surprises you and ends up in a really hot hookup like just because you you swiped on someone and started chatting so I think there's positives there too but you're right that it's just categorically different
1: there is that and, romanticizing it's like that woody allen film where where they're always like oh but the belly epoch that those were the days you know and yeah. and you have that of course romanticizing because you weren't living through it because you didn't experience the fiber of it and yes i love that perspective of yeah well have you ever had video sex where you saw somebody's body over the screen, like they were your personal porn before you even met them, you know? And there, there are, yes, there are new experiences to be had that I don't think we recognize the value of so much.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a weird phenomenon, though, that I haven't not been able to solve for myself, which is like the empty room.
1: Oh my God. I know. I know.
0: Like, there was a moment when the quarantine was really in full swing and. People were starting to throw these raves, I guess, on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a bunch of different rooms set up and go wander about them. And I was I was fortunate enough to be partnered during that time. So I was just hanging out with my fiance, which is, you know, very lucky. I definitely recognize that privilege. Mm. But I I had a moment where I almost had like sort of FOMO where I was like, Oh, I haven't been on any of these Zoom party calls. Am I missing out? Maybe I'm wrong. You know, like I haven't experienced it. So somebody else could say, Devin, the best party I've been to in my life was a 30 person Zoom call. And I'll be like, all right, I guess I just don't know. But it is weird that no matter what's happening on that screen, the moment you close that laptop, you're just in an empty room by yourself again. I
1: know. I know. I've been thinking a lot about that. I've attended and facilitated at three virtual intimacy retreats where they've wow. had an array of workshops and you know kinky things and communication things and grief things and I did one about emotional release techniques and I did a connection games workshop and and each one of them had a virtual play party mm. there is something fun and sexy about being in a Zoom room with people who are touching themselves or playing with their partners or whatever. And you can get very turned on and you can get very, very into it. And there's something very special and low stakes about being able to reach out to somebody digitally because you can direct message them over zoom with with very little consequences, right? If they don't want to respond, they simply don't respond. It's not like going up to somebody in person at a sex party and then being rebuffed or them saying, excuse me, or, you know, it's, there's something that is more easeful and elegant about doing it online that makes it, as Wendy Miller said from Sex at the Musical podcast, she said it's a, it's a good entry point, it's a good first sex party experience for anybody because because you are quite safe and you are by yourself. But I had that experience, right, where I had a wonderful time. I did at the last one, I did a shower scene where what I really wanted to do was shower and shave my legs. And I had just taught a workshop beforehand. I had been very ill, so I hadn't done my usual prepping and primping and mm-hmm. and so i set up the computer on the sink and i was living in this place with this huge beautiful outdoor shower and i just at the beginning of this sex party i was in the playroom showering and shaving my legs in front of the camera I was feeling good to myself and I was smooth and I, and then I connected with one of the other facilitators and we were flirting and he was dancing for me and it got really sexy. And then we went into one of the private rooms that they left open. So it was just us and he got the playlist, which was very, very sensual. And we had a great time touching ourselves and looking at each other and talking. And that was one of the very rare instances in which I've done any sort of the first time meeting someone or pick up play, the first time meeting someone playing, playing with them, even though it was virtual, there was still an unusual sequence of events for me. The play party ended. We went back into the same room for like a closing Zoom thing And then got on a private call with him and we finished our experience and we both masturbated to an orgasm and we chatted and then, and we stayed up real late and that was fun. But then we got off the phone, right? We closed the, closed the computer and then there I was alone in my room, in my empty room with no prospect of, because this was during quarantine, with no prospect of, going on a date or seeing anybody in person or seeing that person in person as he lived in Florida and I'm in Bali, that is what I think about when I when I think about the advent of, v- of VR and VR sex and people turning to VR sex because of its lack of messiness and the fact that you don't have to deal with any emotional fallouts and, and, and all of this. You're still, even if you can get the sensations, even if you can, as on some TV shows, you know, step inside a suit that has you feeling heat and and it it replicates everything. When you turn it off, you're still going to be just you alone in your room.
0: Beautifully said. And to play devil's advocate on on both sides, I I also know that feeling in real life, even even from positive things. Sometimes it's just like the party's over and you get home and then you're there and you're at home and you're like, was that all a dream? Like, mm. oh my God, like what a crazy night that was. And now here I am just back at back at baseline by myself. And then on the other hand, I wonder if with the technology that we have, if some of our frustration is just that it's in a more primitive form. If you think back to the 90s and trying to surf the internet, it was not the same experience that we have today. <laughs> I remember loading up video clips to then like wait and go play basketball outside and then come back and watch my 30-second-long video clip and had finally finished loading, <laughs> and now we can stream Netflix. And so I wonder if some of these fixes – it'll always be, like you said, it'll always be space ice cream. It'll always be something different. But if people go like, oh my God, to be in virtual space, able to take on any body and form, and then to be able to trigger pleasure in your partner, like using this crazy interface, ah, like so much fine tuning and things that can be done. It's way better than just trying to like poke at somebody with your hands and tongue.
1: Don't you think we'll have that Regard or that nostalgia for the messiness and the realness of skin to skin contact and saliva. I don't know that that can ever be replaced, even if technology is so sophisticated that we have an uncanny valley experience of revulsion at the thing that is so human like even if we're we're to that point where robots feel so human like i think there will be i think we will have a hierarchy of this ultimately is not real
0: real and i think the more that something becomes taboo the more it becomes fetishized i noticed the other day that i was thinking i was like i'm at the point where it's not just like, oh, I am so sick of the pandemic. I want to be able to like dance in a room with people. I'm like, I wanna be able to like drink from somebody else's cup again. I wanna share a joint with somebody. Like <laughs> I was always the person that didn't care about germs, germs in that sense. And like, yeah, like here, have a sip from my water bottle. Like, when can we do that again? Mm. And I I'm sure that people are rebelling and doing things that are risky just because. You know, it's now off limits. Oh, definitely. So I could imagine a world where everyone has crazy four-dimensional, holotropic VR sex, and then you go to the grimy little glory hole booth to just like kiss and poke each other with fingers for 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. There's actually a beautiful sci-fi book called Blindness that a Mm. friend gave to me when I asked before I left on this trip, what's a book that you read once and then immediately reread and he's like i'm gonna send it to you and so he sent it to me and i just read it a few months back in it they have all that right they can step into any avatar they can have any kind of virtual sex and it's clean and it's accessible and it's seamless and all this but he has a relationship he's quite genetically modified and he has a relationship with a woman who who has a penchant for old style sex mm. and the messiness of it and the the grittiness of it and the the realness of it i think maybe it's similar to the people who genuinely miss the old new york genuinely abhor the disneyfication of times square and miss when it was Druggies around the corner selling, you know, dime bags, and and when it was dangerous, you know, there Stepping is something over
0: a dead junkie on your way into the gallery. Yep, I mean, I think, I, I, think... I don't
1: miss that, but <laughs> but there but is. But I
0: think I think there's that that element of risk that that comes into it. Like you talked about the the virtual play party is safe, yes, but I think risk is the price that we pay for some of these exhilarating experiences and the humanness of it.
1: I'm not sure that there is any exhilaration without risk.
0: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: There was this fantastic article about why teens are having less sex in the Atlantic. I read the whole thing avidly. It has a lot of potential cultural factors, but what I gleaned from that whole article was that, The reason why teens are having less sex is because their risk tolerance is so low. Oh, interesting. So much lower than previous generations. For instance, in the 50s, if you wanted to have a date with somebody, you had to call them on the telephone that their mother or father would pick up. Yes. (laughs) You had to talk to their mother or father and try to get through that gatekeeper in order to talk to this person and ask them on a date. Going further back, you know, you would have to go through a series of prescribed courtship rituals and then write somebody a letter which may or may not be delivered, may or may not be intercepted, may or may not be reciprocated. You know, you had, you had to take risks. Even before we had cell phones, if you wanted to hit on somebody, you had to go up to them and talk to them, or you had to get your friend to do it, right? You had to take a risk in some way. You had to either go up to them and feel your heart pounding and feel your palms sweating and feel your breath get quicker and figure out something to say. Even if it was just hi, it felt like, oh my God, I'm going to say hi to this super hot guy. Oh my god, oh my god, my the god oh my god.
0: god! 90s thing of like you got to get her number and then you think about the logistics of well, okay, I have the number and now it's 2 days later and I have to call and say, "Hey, I'm I'm Brad from Saturday night at the bar." Right. How many guys has this person given their number to? It's just a different thing and I think you're totally right that it's changed and yeah, even with 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 online dating, if you are in a big enough city, you know there is very low risk of ghosting someone. You ghost somebody, you are not going to run into them again. So why why bother to maintain these civil connections of saying no? Thank you. I am. I am just going to go on now. And this is
1: one of the things that the kids said when they were interviewed. They said that they didn't want to have the risk of talking to somebody in person that they weren't already sure was interested in them and wanted to go on a date with them there is this vast cavern of risk bravery courage experience exhilaration excitement turn on desire that comes from looking at someone wanting them And then figuring out and bringing yourself to the point where you break ice with them. And the thing is, these kids are not getting that. Because they won't talk to anybody in person that they don't already know wants to go
0: on a date with them. That's the whole delightful dance of flirtation. I've I've even found... When you get into an actual relationship, it's like, oh, I'm, I miss that initial spark When like I'm sitting next to someone watching a movie and they move their legs and then their mm. foot is brushing up against mm-hmm. me. And I'm like, is this an invitation? Mm-hmm. If I start massaging their foot right now, am I going to watch them pull their foot back and I get a strong signal? Or mm-hmm. do they like-
1: Snuggle know, into pushing,
0: me. Start pushing their foot onto my crotch and I get a different signal. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's exhilarating. There's, there's another parallel, I think, between the much praised old New York and this lack of sex with teens that we're talking about. I remember reading once about maybe it was like digital cameras or something like that it was like the rise of GoPro and they were talking that, you know, as things got fancier and crazier, everyone was thinking, "Oh, okay, we're going to like consumers are going to keep wanting the fanciest best camera." And that turned out not to be true. People were like, "Oh, this this camera is 100 bucks and it does everything I need. Great. The image is slightly less good, who cares? Like it it satisfies my needs." And I wonder if there's a point at which digital intimacy is not the same as old flesh and blood, but it us and it's easier. Yes. So if you think about somebody in New York right now, not pandemic, but just 2019 New York. Oh, I'm supposed to go out to this event tonight, but I can stay home in my warm apartment and watch whatever I want on Netflix and just and call Tinder. up and order seamless and look at, yeah, look at Tinder and that's fine. Whereas if you were in the 1980s, you'd be like, well, I'm in my apartment. I've already read these magazines. There's nothing else on TV. I'm never going to meet anybody sitting in this apartment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go down to the bar or see that show. It forced people to go out more often, I think. And I think there was plenty of times that I was at something in New York and I was like, man, how many people would be here if they weren't at home being lazy, watching Netflix, eating seamless right now. And
1: that's and the social. thing with the ease of what we can get, right? It's the seamlessification of dating where you think you can just order up whatever you want and send it a car to arrive yeah. to you. And and, and and you treat it like a catalog and mm-hmm. like a buffet and like a seamless
0: order. This is like a super heteronormative example, but if you think about like the dweeby guy In the 1980s who's like ah like i'm not (laughs) i'm not getting lucky with women i'm gonna have to like work on myself and try and figure out a better strategy and keep trying until i'm able to like hopefully develop as a person to the point where i can succeed more and i wonder about someone growing up today who's like well That was nerve-wracking, and I didn't even try, and so I'm so terrified of failure that, oh, what's this on the internet? Unlimited hardcore pornography? Sure, I'll just use this instead. And I I totally understand how incels and these other uh, victims of this age are are sort of created because… Yeah, like there's a path of least resistance, and that leads to stagnation. And I'm sure a host of other problems when the effort required to engage feels daunting, and the alternative is just so much easier.
1: It's risk tolerance, and it's also the ability to cope with your emotions such that you can deal with rejection. Yeah. Because rejection seems like the worst thing in the world to so many people. It seems like, "Oh my god, I cannot handle it if I go up to somebody and they don't want to talk to me. I will be mortified. I'll never pick myself up off the floor." When the truth is that you do it a few times and you're like, "Oh well, you know, okay, you know, you win some, you lose some." But you you have to have that kind of what do they say? Build a thicker skin, you know, you get chafed and you get chafed and your skin gets thicker so that you you develop the the, the calluses in the right places to uh, to dance tango, for instance. I, I built up these tango calluses from wearing these horrible shoes, and I prized them because they meant that I could dance for longer periods of time. They meant that I had suffered and I had built up the resistance to be able to do this thing I loved for longer, to be able to, to deal with the challenge that this thing that I loved, you know, sex, romance, excitement, flirtation, that this thing that I loved brought my way because sometimes you're going to be rejected. That is just how it goes. Well, I was just thinking also about, you mentioned incels, the, the Japanese equivalent that I've heard about, they're called herbivores. Men who choose not to have sex. I don't think that there is a similarly violent bent for these young Japanese men. It's more, it that, feels more
0: passive. Yeah. That, that
1: yeah, that that they have just chosen not to, and they enjoy their porn, and they maybe get, they get the panties from the vending machine, or you know, they find find ways to have a sexual outlet, but they don't want that risk. They don't want the emotionally And maybe also physically messy risk of real life flesh and blood in person dating romance and sex.
0: Because it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a, This is where I think that (laughs) the medium is the message thing is very true, is that it's entirely different. Looking at pornography and having physical sex, yes, there is nudity involved, there's probably similar endorphins and dopamine and that kind of stuff, but it's also just totally different. If you're having sex with someone, you don't get to just open a new tab and look for somebody else. I mean, I guess you could you could try tindering while in the
1: oh, of God.
0: But you know that's, that's like a, that's like a weird move. And <laughs> I I think that if you get used to one form of engagement, it's going to be very intimidating to think about doing that in the real world where so much could go wrong. You brought up earlier talking about video chatting with your mom and how you see your own reflection and it kind of distracts you from it and i think that's probably another aspect is confidence requires a little bit of delusion i've seen Mm. people like like i'm glad that we're reckoning with this and we've decided that being the guy that's just creepily hitting on everybody is not okay anymore but i've i've seen people who are confident and end up hooking up with people they have to have a tolerance of like trying to hit on people where it doesn't work out and not being bothered by it not being like oh that went so poorly uh they're like oh yeah you see that that person was totally into me and i'm like i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> i think, they, I think they definitely weren't but that delusion helps them keep going and, and, and get another at bat whereas i wonder right now like we're so self-aware it's harder to um Maybe there's also the idea that it's like recorded. Like if I go around, and I talk to a bunch of strangers at a bar, okay, maybe one of them tells me to buzz off, but like no big deal. But if I'm in high school and I message on Instagram someone that I like, oh God, they could they could screenshot that message and then they could post it and share it and make fun of me. And there's so much more evidence. I can't imagine what it's like to be young right oh now God. and have oh. such a trail oh. of digital ephemera in your wake coming back again and again so you know it's not just like oh remember that time at this party when this thing happened it's like ah here's this picture of what you looked like at that party
1: i think we also need to talk about facebook image crafting and a kind of overexposure and mystery or the lack thereof we have these digital avatars running around i mean i will say for myself that even though i i speak very deeply about my my true experiences my struggles with depression and anxiety my self-worth issues and and my battles with self-esteem and and all of this and beauty i don't i don't spend a lot of time posting and sharing photographs and instagram stories when I am depressed or when I feel really crummy. Yeah. That's not what I want to be putting out into the world as I hate these fucking dogs. I have to tell you, I hate these fucking dogs so much. Oh, my fucking God. They like live in this alley right next door, and every once in a while they just go off for God fucking knows what reason. And I just... I just want to throttle them. That is just how
0: I feel. But well, now you can't edit that out because that's <laughs> real. No curating your conversation about curating our digital presentations e- themselves. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So we are curating these photos. Most people are using filters. Most people are using editing software before they share an image of themselves. We we learn our angles. We're, we're We've done a lot to present ourselves in the most flattering light and in the most flattering position. And I've been on Tinder a lot in the past few days. And many, many male profiles that I come across say, please look like your photos or you know, I saw one today that said, if you don't look like your photos, you buy me drinks until you look like the photos. Ew. <laughs> I, I know, it was super gross. But it, what a
0: charming thing to say that.
1: <laughs> I know, but it exemplified this sentiment of yeah. people are not representing who they are. And so I think that a lot of these dead-end conversations, because I actually haven't met anybody that I matched with on Tinder this entire year. I have not met with one person. I, all the people that I've had as lovers or dated, I met in in person at some kind of event. These Tinder connections often wind up in these yeah. dead-end conversations that when you get to a point where you're finally about to meet, the person disappears. And yeah. what what is that about? That probably is about them either not being who they represented themselves to be or them fearing that you're not going to be who you represented yourself to be. And so I think a lot of people indulge in this safe flirtation and this safe escalation of sexiness when it becomes something that would be risky, like, oh, I'm going to be exposed. I don't know if he'll think I'm as pretty as I am in my photos or you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, then they don't go further.
0: Which I've I've always been, since Tinder started, I've been so curious about how the ecosystem has evolved over time. Like there must have been a great first six months when ghosting wasn't a thing because no one had ever like heard of the term and no one had had dates flake on them repeatedly so people were just like oh awesome i met this person we agreed on wednesday we're both going to show up this is great and i think over time you realize that oh fuck i was saving wednesday to go on a date with the person they flaked at the last minute well next time i'm going to set up three dates for wednesday and then whoever doesn't flake and is the hottest i'll just go on that one which means you're flaking on two others so the whole ecosystem then starts to reward this flakiness and." Yeah, I, coming back to that idea of engagement, the most baffling thing to me when I was on it was I would message people and they would send me back these brief messages, but they didn't stop communicating with me. They just didn't give me anything to work with.
1: It's icing. There's a name how's for your, it.
0: Oh, icing. But it's like, yeah, like, how's your day going? Good. Fine. Okay. Like, like, I don't... like. How's your day going as an invitation to conversation? Like, if you don't want conversation, why are you responding? And if you do, say something that gives me, like, it's like ping pong. Like, hit the ball back to me so I can hit it back to you and we can play the game.
1: Surely the art of conversation has deteriorated, right? So some people may not even know how to have a conversation.
0: It's like I I never cracked the code. I don't know what like the, the perfect pickup line is on Tinder or any of those things, but like you know it when you get into one of those good conversations. When you are messaging somebody and they're messaging you back and then dot dot dot. Oh, here's the question. Okay, yeah, I can respond to that. Oh, and then suddenly you're talking about some crazy, funny, like if I was a sandwich, what would I be? And it's a fun way to like flirt and get into things and make sexual innuendo and all of that fun stuff. And then other people, it's just, I'm like, are you just not interested in me? Which is fine. But like, why are you then talking to me? And I don't get how the other conversations that I'm not privy to on Tinder work where someone's like, hey, and the other person's like, what's up? And then they're like, you're hot. And they're like, thanks, you too. And they're like, we should meet. And they're like, okay, <laughs> and that's, and that's how they decide to get a drink, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had people try to escalate within two messages. Like, hey, what's up? What you doing? Here's a picture of my dick, you know?
0: Yep. See if you'll take the bait.
1: I'm not going to.
0: <laughs> I was wondering last night if... um. Like, I know that there's bots on dating apps that are trying to, you know, spam you and get you to give your credit card information or something. But I was Hmm. like, I wonder if, like, how bots would do at just pretending to be a person. If the goal was to just (laughs) have conversations and try and set up dates, like, could you build an AI bot that would have? tinder conversations for you and could access your your calendar and just be like cool you're now having drinks and you're like all right I'll, I'll review this message thread and see what we talked about i
1: don't know if this is a real thing but in the book blindness there is the term a chinese room and it's mm. whether the bot could convince you that it's having a real conversation with you but it's actually not comprehending it's actually just putting together, it's basically an algorithm that's putting together something that is correlated to what it's been sent.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, the the classic thing of the Turing test is the idea of, can you tell whether this is a machine? Can X amount of people, whatever the percentage is, tell that this is a machine that they're talking with? And I was thinking about that where if I had to sit down across from somebody and have a conversation, it would be very hard to have a machine convince me they're a human. Because one, we don't have realistic looking robots, Mm -hmm. and I think you would notice a lot more. But I've had text conversations with people that I'm quite sure are human on a dating app that also I think (laughs) probably, you know, like if you actually, I was like, was that human? Could that have been faked by a bot? Oh, easily. Yeah. (laughs) Like you could definitely have a bot that says, uh, yo, what's up? Chilling. Yeah, me too. What you doing this weekend, dick pic. Just <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you've had conversations with people who fail the touring test.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think I think most of Tinder probably fails the Turing mm. test.
1: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. Just from the from the empirical evidence that I have. You were talking about ghosting and you said that you thought it was more of a new phenomenon, but I do think that ghosting has been around forever. Perhaps this is happening more often, or perhaps we're just, it's sort of like when you're looking for the quarters on the ground, you suddenly see quarters all the time. But it used to be called being stood up, right? Where somebody, you actually got, you got, you took a shower, you got dressed up, you put your makeup on, you put your perfume on, you got in your car, you drove somewhere, you sat down, and then the person didn't show And you never heard from them. Why do you think that's called being stood up? As though you're standing and you're not able to be seated because your party isn't complete? I don't
0: know. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I don't know. Like
1: you're standing at the hostess booth and they're like, yep, sorry. We can't seat you.
0: (laughs) You and I both lived in New York. And I think that's where I was when I saw the term ghosting rise. I wonder how ghosting existed in smaller towns. Like... You can't really ghost somebody if there's only two bars in town, and sooner or later you're going to be like, "Hey, asshole! We yeah. dated for three weeks. What? Did, where did you go?" Yeah,
1: you just see them. I think I think people still do it, and then they just you know <laughs> they just like leave the bar real quick.
0: <laughs> like, Louisville's a smaller city, and I've talked to some friends here that are on Tinder, and they're like, "It's interesting because." You will see people in real life that you've seen on Tinder, which, if it's just someone who you've swiped past, like, okay, like that's one thing. But if you've chatted with somebody and then it kind of ended in New York, you weren't likely to, like, the next day get on the subway and go, oh shit, I think that's, I think that's Hot Bod 182 or whatever.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, the bigger the city, the lower the accountability. So it's easier for people to do something like that and not worry because they don't think they're going to be confronted with the consequences of their actions ever.
0: There's less risk?
1: Less risk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I it it's it's funny how risk in these things are actually again like it's like fiber. It's important to have them. It creates accountability and it creates trust networks and all of these things that function. And it feels like we're just in a disruptive era. I'm sure that there's probably a phase where something new comes along and it tears up the old stuff and everybody's, you know, the new stuff isn't totally plugged in yet and the old stuff is all kind of broken. Mm. And then when the new stuff gets plugged in, you settle down until the next disruption comes along. I think we're just like in between phases right now. And probably will be for a long time because disruptive technology is going to be the theme of this century. But mm. if I decided that I didn't want to use my cell phone because I don't like how it makes me feel to be looking at my phone all the time, the world is not set up in a way for me to do that. I can't go on dates and ask the restaurant to use their phone to call my my date. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's- It's just that, you know, I'm not going to find a phone booth or anything.
1: It really is like Um, swimming against the current. You really have to work hard, hard, hard to do it.
0: In high school, I I did not have a cell phone until I was 18. But there was a period where it didn't matter that I didn't have a cell phone because my friends had cell phones. And all I needed to do was like quickly call my parents to check in anyways. So I think that's the other thing that like I could say, ah, I'm going to go phone free and then everyone's got to just call my partner and she's going to become my secretary which she doesn't want to do so the options are constrained right now especially with a pandemic where we we could say oh fuck the digital world let's go have a no phone dinner party but we can't do that um, i'm curious what other sort of like we talked about how like i mean like i'm having this conversation with a blindfold on like i think phone is actually more intimate i'm curious If you have any thoughts about what people can do to try and break out of the problems we've been describing with with Zoom and video chats and and how to create greater intimacy at a distance when, as badly as we want, we can't get together and cuddle. (sighs) Well,
1: before you put me on the spot like that, I want to tell you about this time that somebody ghosted me. Oh, please. Okay. So this guy... I met him when he was with a woman I know. And I found him super attractive, but also quite... He's kind of crass. He's a little bit rude, but in that way that's very, very charming. He's incredibly handsome. He sort of looks like the guy who hosts The Daily Show, Trevor Noah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so just a great turn-on just to, (laughs) to look at him and be in his presence. And so... Sometime after they separated, I can't remember if we matched on, on a dating app or if I think he maybe contacted me on Instagram, something like this. And we went out on one date. And then a couple nights later, I went over to his place super late at night and he was drunk. And we had sex that was painful for me. I told him, and I was like, I think you're hitting my cervix. Like, and he's like, yeah, I want to hit your cervix. I'm like, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was not good sex. And then he ghosted me. And one would think good riddance to bad rubbish, right? But I was like, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? You need to make up for that drunken, I'd want to hit your cervix night. Yeah. I was so mad that he ghosted me that I sent him a ghost emoji every single day (laughs) whenever I thought about it. So it wasn't at, you know, 4 p.m. It was whenever I thought about it during the day. I sent him a ghost emoji every day for as long as it took to get a response. How many days do you think I sent ghost emojis?
0: I I want to say like a month. 13. 13 days?
1: I sent 13 days of ghost emojis and he finally wrote back what like what are you getting at or like what do you want out of this and I wrote back clarity period and he said I'm just not in a place to be in a relationship and I was like why couldn't you have just said that <laughs> yep. and then I left him alone but I I really it, it was a way that I turned it around for myself because every time I sent a ghost emoji, I was like, <laughs> and, I, and, and I felt a sense of joy, actually, and empowerment at making a joke out of something he did that hurt me. Yeah, and and cracking myself up for thirteen days in a row, sending him this ghost emoji. <laughs>
0: and i think that is the heart of wizardry is 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 trying to find the fun in these things where like if if you're presented with that situation and you you either want to be vindictive and send a bunch of like fuck you you piece of shit like messages or these like well, I really miss you and I want to connect. It's 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 the both of those strategies are just gonna hurt you more than anything else. Right. But finding a way to have fun with it and transform <laughs> it and, and approach it from a different angle. Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah, that was that was a bit of a bit of wizardry. I appreciate that. There's a show, I, I think there's only been one season on Amazon called Upload. It's like set in the future, and the dating app that everybody uses is almost like uber in a way because it has a rating system so after you hook up yes the person's like five stars like yes right? five yes stars yes it's so person.
1: good it's i can't believe yeah. it's only that one one season it's so good
0: yeah that shows great i was wondering if that's what you were talking about when you were like the vr suit because i think they have that at one point yes but, it
1: was um, it was from that show
0: But I wonder about that where like, on the one hand, would that give us greater accountability or is any sort of, you know, like the same way that there's fake Amazon reviews, like are people just going to find a strategy to maximize their dating profile? And you're like, wow, that person with five stars uh, sure was an asshole.
1: But also the other way around, because then you get a bunch of trolls. Like for instance, my podcast used to have five stars and then there were people who gave one star and some kind of strange nonsensical review. And then people who just are clearly being oddly vindictive, like maybe they are mad at me for some reason or, you know what I
0: mean? 13 ghost emojis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be, that would be funny if he was one of the one one star givers. (laughs) Oh my God. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I mean that's but-
0: what we talked about. You know, you can't you can't prank somebody with ghost emojis because then you run the risk of them low rating your podcast, which is just, <laughs> you know, this integrated <laughs> virtual world that we're in.
1: But you asked me how we might mitigate this this loneliness or this.
0: Not mitigate. I think I was asking similar to your ghosting story of like, how do we transcend? Like, what are the playful ways and ideas that we can connect at a distance? How can we, if someone says, like, hey, let's do a family Zoom call, what are the alternatives that we can suggest to like, or even, you know, games that we can play to like bridge that gap in new ways?
1: Mm, This isn't a playful suggestion, but I do think it's a powerful one. And Since most of us, if we are unpartnered, if we are not living with people who touch us and whom we touch, are not getting the touch that we desire or require, as my friend Jeremy's mom, who's a psychotherapist, says, you need eight hugs a day just to feel normal. And it's like, who gets that even in pre-pandemic times? You know, very, very few people are getting eight hugs a day. So imagine that deficit, you know, that touch yeah. deficit and skin hunger that people are running on throughout their whole lives, which I believe creates a whole host of issues and irritability and inability to sleep and, you know, all kinds of, of disease. But if we are unable to get touch currently from others, then giving it to ourselves becomes a matter of vital importance. There are these women that I follow on Instagram. Their handle is Twin Powerment. And they do these very simple videos of self holds where your hands are are both on yourself, right? And so you're creating a circuit of care. So if you're thinking about things in in a yogic sense, right, in an energy center or chakra sense, the hands are connected to the heart. So the heart goes all the way out through the arms and through the hands. So you're creating a circuit that goes from your heart back into you. And for many years, I've used two hands over the center of my chest, of my sternum, in order to calm myself down when I felt rejected or jealous or heartbroken or grief-stricken or in emotional pain others that I've seen them share like one hand on either of your cheeks, right? Like you're like you're cradling your own face. One hand on your forehead and one hand cradling the base of your skull at the back. So I think these these self-holds are incredibly powerful and necessary for when we're not getting the touch that would be the real ice cream. You know, this might be the the space ice cream that has the vitamins <laughs> that we that can get us by.
0: Oh, huh, that's interesting. How, how you've been experimenting with them and how do how do they make you feel afterwards?
1: The hands over the heart has a sense of taking care of my inner little girl
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mothering myself essentially telling myself that it's going to be okay. Things are going to be all right, that we will come through this and that I will never abandon my little me, that I will always show up for my little me. Or if there is an instance in which I am unable to do so, I will make amends to myself and my little me.
0: That's beautiful. That's one of the things that I've been reflecting a lot on this year. I've been doing internal family systems therapy, which is all about talking to the different parts that you have inside of you and and learning how to get them together. And I was running into these moments where I was like, "Okay, I've identified the part. Like, I've heard what it had to say. Like, why am I still feeling this way and bothered? Shouldn't you know? Shouldn't I have the epiphany and then the problems melt away?" Mm -hmm. And I was at a bonfire for the solstice and i was sitting across from someone and we were all like giving our little like new year speeches and this person said something that just really resonated with me about how this year she had learned to be a parent to her inner child and i was like oh my god that's what i've been missing it's not just that i hear them you're heard you're a ghost and now your spirit is free, like stop haunting Mm. me. It's like, oh, I I get to be the parent to you. And so that means both stepping into that role of like giving the attention and nurturing that that part feels like it was lacking, but also being a parent where it's like, no, you don't get to have a temper tantrum in the middle of dinner. Like that's not what we're doing right now. And Mm. having some guidelines and boundaries and parameters that you use to work with these parts. That's been a totally different concept where I think it it's similar to that idea of like holding yourself of yeah, it's it's learning how to, even when you're alone, get along with others and the others are just yourself.
1: Mm. Madison Young talks about actual parenting in life parenting as a process of reparenting yourself at that age. Yeah. Almost all of us have these stories about how our parents did it wrong and how we wished (laughs) they had done this or how they had been unable to show up in the way that we desired them to do. And we cannot change that experience. That experience happened. We could reframe but I think the more effective, more powerful thing is to be able to talk to ourselves and step into that. Most of us want this kind, loving, firm, taking care of things parent and figuring out how to offer that voice to ourselves. I have done some visualization about myself at the most tender ages that I remember, the most fraught ages. And still, every time I think about myself, particularly at age 12, I just, and I visualize, you know, close my eyes and visualize myself in my preteen room, I just want to, I just want to cry, you know. I just want to, I feel her pain so much, right? But actually, this is related to the story that I I was going to tell you later when you asked me
0: for a story. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you for a story now. Then. You are? <laughs> I'm asking you for a story.
1: Are you sure we don't want to talk about more possible ways that people can make it fun? I feel like I want, to, I want to offer more there and I want to ideate a little bit more with you. Oh, I
0: would love to, but I'm also at 17% battery and need to get ready for a work meeting and not too long. Um, oh, no. So we should, we should get into the home stretch. We don't have to get off right right now, but um, okay. this, is, this is enough warning that we're not caught off guard and have to just.
1: <sighs> so I didn't answer the question there and we ran out of time because Devin has a job and I didn't want to leave that unanswered on my part because I have things to offer here and maybe they'll make a difference for you. Like with any group of people who meet regularly, it's likely that your pandemic pod or your household gets into conversational grooves, from which it's hard to deviate. One of the things I love most in the world is to play question games with people. A few of my favorites are Gravitas, the little box of big questions, Vertelis, a game I've played on several major holidays at the villa, which literally translates to tell me more, and the card-free improvisational Hot Seat game where multiple people direct their attention to one person and ask anything and everything they feel curious about, especially the things that they wouldn't typically ask. You can ask follow-up questions in Hot Seat as well, but first, the response when someone answers your question is always, thank you. I like playing Hot Seat with a timer, five minutes per person, for example. Once you get into it, it probably won't feel like enough, These games are invaluable to me because you're likely to share and learn things about those close to you that otherwise wouldn't arise in the, what they call here in Bali, the new normal, or what I'm thinking of as your pandemic paradigm. Also in the realm of games, you know, there's an app for that. (laughs) Many board games have apps these days, either standalone apps or bundles like Jackbox games. My favorite game to play lately is a word game called Codenames. I love games where you have to try and guess somebody's sense of humor, like what's your meme, or try to guess associations that they have. Try to get inside their head somehow, like with Fishbowl. Another playful way to connect across distance is to watch a movie together and mystery science theater it out loud or in the comments on Zoom, or to watch a stand-up special together, because what's better than laughing with people you love? If you're looking to connect with a lover long distance, there are toys that allow one partner to have a remote control that operates the other partner's sex toy across the world. I mean. (laughs) And lastly for this interlude, what if we return to the fireside chats of radio days? I am told, in my parents' youth, families would gather around a radio in the living room and listen to the same program at the same time. What if we did that with podcasts? What if they weren't just a solitary, in-ear endeavor, but a communal one? What if we shifted our listening style from solo to partnered or to group? What if people treated podcasts like we do our TV series, cuddling up to binge one together, or waiting until your listening mate was available to hear that latest episode? What if? All right. Now that I've actually answered the question... I'll tell you a story. I'd been living in Bali for a few months when somebody in Portland reached out to me and said, I know someone you should know. She's living in Bali. She creates life-size nests and photographs people in them naked. I was like, I need to know this person. (laughs) Whoever she is, I need to know her. Her name is Debbie Baxter. She's been here for about the length of time that I have. And maybe six months ago, maybe half of the time into our experience here, I participated in her nest project. Ooh. I came to the studio where she had the nest. Sometimes she does it on a beach. Sometimes she does it in the jungle. In this case, it was in a studio in a... Of multi-purpose space called Magic, which has a restaurant, a performance space, and a yoga shala, and a library, and a jewelry store, and <laughs> all these, all these things, and and a little gallery. So, showed up to this little gallery, and sat with Debbie. And the first thing she does is interview you, because each photograph is accompanied by a story, and she interviews you about what you're bringing to the nest. What she means is. What are you carrying? What's heavy? what are you what are you what load are you carrying from your childhood or from your history that you want to take into the nest with you in service of some kind of healing or some kind of transformation or catharsis? So we talked a lot about my mother. We talked about my lack of memories before the age of twelve. We talked about the divorce and my difficulty growing up as a teenager in my mother's house. And she had me pull out of my history three ages that felt particularly tender or rife with energy and emotion. One of them was three, which is when I had been spending a lot of time in my mother's country of Brazil, and then they brought me back home. And apparently I was very unhappy about that. When I was 12, which is when my parents got divorced and my mom moved me down to Florida where I did not want to live. And when I was 16, which is before I was able to get out of my mother's house and I felt so, so, so trapped. A lot of my thoughts in that interview focused on the the 12 year old. And she had me do that visualization where I thought of myself in my room when I was 12 I had magazine cutouts and pictures pasted all over my wall I had twin bed a lot of books and I visualized with her guidance going and sitting next to myself as I am now with my 12 year old self and I, of course, wanted to cry, and I, I began crying. And she asked if I wanted to put my arms around her, and I did. And so I, in my mind's eye, put my arms around my 12-year-old self. And I did a lot of weeping. I was wearing mascara, and I went to the bathroom after the interview, and I saw that it had created tracks down my cheeks. My eyes were red, wet eyelashes. My nose was was swollen and rosy and I just left it like that I didn't wash my face my hair got all frizzy I had done it up in curls it was now just a, a big <laughs> frizzy Amazonian mess and I got in the nest nude like that and she photographed me
0: that sounds like the right way to get into a nest. I mean, <laughs> a nest is not something that I really think of as like a black tie dinner like you're going to wear your finest. It's, you know, it's a right. it's a freaking nest like you should be a little bit raw, a little bit messy. There's mm-hmm. probably sticks poking everywhere. I think that that feels like the right attire.
1: Yeah, she'd put down a bit of a sheepskin rug, but it didn't cover the entire cavity of the nest so Mm. she did some photographs of me solo and then we did some photographs together because we are ostensibly still going to make an episode together which we haven't made and i wanted to have a shot of us together and so we did it where we were spooning on one side and then the other and as i flipped over from one side to the other i got a huge sweep of scratches so I had oh, these, wow. these scratches all over my body from this nest. A couple of days later, I went to a sensual dance party where we were playing with erotic energy. Where there could be nudity, there could be sex, there could be—you know—that it was it was open to what might happen, and the theme was trios. I knew some people but I I only felt really connected to one person who was a woman and her energies were otherwise engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, she was she was she was busy energetically and she was didn't spend a lot of time with me. I spotted a guy, had my eye on him, really wanted his attention and we were paired up in the initial exercise where I was dancing with two men. One of the guidelines was to You know, you're naturally going to be drawn to more to one person than the other. Make sure you give them equal attention, even so. So I wound up giving a little bit more attention to the one that I wasn't attracted to. And after the formalized exercises were over and it was just free flow and freestyle, he was in a clinch with one woman and then maybe 20 minutes later in a clinch with another woman. And he did not pick up on any of my invitations any of my energetic invitations or eye contact or when i passed by him he didn't look at me or acknowledge me or anything and so i felt the rejection usually in that kind of situation where i didn't i didn't have a desire to connect with anybody else really and i was feeling rejected i would just leave and having just had this nest experience i felt opened and i felt also a certain sense of resilience. And because I didn't resist the feelings, I, I almost treated it like a meditation and I sat with them. And whenever I wanted to move my body through space, I did. Most of the time I wanted to just sit, so I did. If I wanted to be in a different part of the room, I moved myself there. At one point I punched the air and screamed. At one point I rolled around on the floor. At one point I sat cross-legged, Across the whole room from them, but with the view of him sitting on the floor and her sitting in his lap with her legs wrapped around him, you know, kind of like a spider, I kept saying to myself three things. Don't dissociate. Don't crumble. Don't leave. Don't dissociate. Don't crumble. Don't leave. Now, I also reminded myself that i could leave at any time. Right. that if it became overwhelming, i could go at any moment that i didn't i didn't have to do this. But i consciously chose the path of the love warrior and said no, i'm going to stay with this. I'm going to stay with these feelings because they will not kill me. I am resilient and i can handle these feelings and i have emotional Fluidity, and I have some tools, and I can stay with this right now. And I stayed through the entire experience. It was another couple of hours, probably. And I did not dissociate, and I did not crumble, and I did not leave. I just sat with the fire of that rejection and what it brought up in me. And when I closed my eyes, what I saw was my 12 year old self. And what I remembered was the guy who I cheered for when I was a cheerleader, the guy who was on the basketball team who I liked, how he got made fun of brutally, mercilessly, because I cheered for him. Because it was so embarrassing that someone like me should cheer for him. Oh, how awful. Yeah. And and I remembered... You know, how much I wanted to like cut off the bump on my nose and wondered just how much blood would come out if I, what kind of tool I could use to like cut that off. And, you know, I remembered all of those feelings of rejection and self loathing. And in my mind's eye, I went to my 12 year old self and I sat with her and basically, with my presence in my mind's eye, said, We're gonna, we're gonna get through this and we're okay. And we're valuable. And I sat through the entire night. And then I ate my leftovers and drank some coconut water. And I slipped out the door. And I drove myself home.
0: And I think that's the difference between life and fantasy and representations of life. Is that we're so conditioned to hear that story. And somehow... You stay through, and then there's this magical moment where somebody comes over, and you're not rejected, and you connect with them instead, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and there's this nice, tidy bow on the narrative arc. And in reality, it's actually the the victory that no one else could see. That happens inside yourself where you're like, okay, cool. Like I process something there, and hopefully the next time you're in a situation of rejection, it stings a little bit less, uh-huh. and you're able to to stay in the game and remember that the risk of rejection is the price that we pay for for playing around and trying to win the affections of others
1: and that i i can handle it you know that yep. and that's how i came out of it was like i am a love warrior i have these tools and i have trained i have trained my heart by opening it up again and again and again and being interested and opening myself to desire and taking risks and allowing myself to be hurt and allowing myself to experience joy and excitement and heartache and grief and figuring out how to carry that because I don't believe that heartache is the worst thing in the world and I think that we're here to connect and that all efforts towards connection are worth it
0: and I'm going to tie it all back together and it's it it goes beyond connection because you you actively engaged with that 12-year-old and really listened but also it feels like responded to and had your adult voice in the conversation it wasn't just let's hear from the inner child it's let's let's talk about this together
1: and that's the self intimacy because when i say intimacy i don't only mean connection with others I mean, seeing yourself and being deeply seen by yourself as well. Devin. Lila. Could you create us a magic spell for banishing loneliness? <laughs> for banishing loneliness. <laughs>
0: <sighs> for banishing loneliness uh, that's, that is a tough order. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think right now, I don't think I can do that because I don't think I have been in that position over the last year. I have been partnered, and so I think it would feel wrong for me to tell a person who has been touch-starved to just like hold your own hand and be your own best friend, and it'll be okay. Because I, I, I don't know the agony of 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 their loneliness and I don't want to pretend to. Mm. But what I think I can do if you'll permit me to to wiggle into a, a new corner of the conversation mm-hmm. is answer my own question and offer some magical guidance for how to engage with the relationships that we do have in new and more meaningful ways. At a
1: yes. Yes, please.
0: And so the principles that I'll bring into play here, almost as like you can imagine you know, that you're setting up your altar and these are the little spaces where you're going to put your different magical artifacts that you're going to be working with. One of those would be risk. And that is, I think, something important to engage with from the beginning. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know? You're not risking it all on some crazy bet. But I think actively thinking about what risk is involved? And if you're thinking about, oh, all right, I, I'm feeling a little bit lonely. I should call someone this week. Hmm, I could call my mom who I talk to on a weekly basis. I could call my one friend that I talk to more regularly. You know who I really miss, but I haven't talked to in ages is this friend. Maybe take that risk and 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 go with that choice of engaging with somebody who maybe you had like kind of a messy end of the relationship. Nothing horrible, but you know, it hasn't It's not like a clean, like, oh, yep, my friend, my friend, Joe, just going to call him up. So (laughs) Thinking about that and and finding where is there a connection, a person you know, a relationship where you're going to take a little bit of a chance by reaching out. Maybe that's even a stranger. Maybe that's like, you know, saying, DMing someone on Instagram and say, hey, I really like your work. Would you be down for a 15-minute phone call? Like we said earlier, like Mm. the risk online is actually relatively low because the worst I mean, someone could send you a mean message, I suppose, but more likely than not, they'll just ignore it. Yeah. So risk is one. The other component, I think, is gonna just be the, the heart of, of of your whole being, Lila, and and I guess intimacy. And so thinking not only about what what is the risk I'm willing to take, but also what is it that I'm willing to share and give like how can i tell the story of what's happened lately in a way that's not just hitting the highlights i personally have always been so dismayed when i talk to someone who's like i just traveled around the world for eight months and i'm like how was it they're like it was amazing and i'm like Uh oh I feel like if I did that, it would also be challenging and hard. And <laughs> there would be lonely nights and frustrations with constantly meeting new people in hostels and never seeing them again. And then the person's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah there was a lot of that. And was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about both of those things. Like, don't just tell me about the time that you went snorkeling and that's it so i I don't i don't think when you are trying to reach out to connect with someone you need to unload just like every little minor frustration but what are the funny parts of your life that happen off camera and maybe maybe consider that and then the point of our triangle is going to be find a game find something that you can do to bend the conversation in new directions to give it some sort of structure to do something that's different than just hey oh how are you
1: and this is where through a glitch in the matrix a wrinkle in time a tear in the fabric of space devin's audio went dark for three whole minutes but mine didn't And because I inadvisably had the volume turned up high enough on my headphones that his words from Kentucky came through very faintly on my mic in Indonesia, he was able to transcribe and recreate them for you. Here's the crack. Here is the crack in our beautiful clay pot that we, Kintsugi style, have filled with gold. As Leonard Cohen sang, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. It's how the light gets in. It's how the light gets in. This is the part that we almost lost to the void, but didn't, because there's gold.
0: Hey, it's Devin. This is the point in the conversation where, unbeknownst to either Lila or me, my audio stopped recording. Technology is fun like that, so I'm just going to hop in here, breaking out of time and space to wedge myself into the conversation so I can finish my thoughts on the magic of games. All conversations are a game in a certain sense. We have our opening moves, the highs, how are yous, how you bends, the back and forth of asking questions and answering them, and these days the tired pre-programmed routines of COVID catch-up and when do you think things will go back to normal? These are all conversational patterns we fall into without thinking, but intentionally introducing a game allows you to break outside of that box and try something new. A game can be as simple as Googling good conversation questions and asking a few of your favorites, or as elaborate as cooking the same meal and sitting down to dinner together over Zoom, separated by miles and miles and miles. You can take turns throwing out random prompts, words like pineapple, skiing, bad sex, and then letting the other person tell you whatever story those words bring to mind. There are no rules beyond the idea of introducing rules and then abiding by them. A rule that we'll spend five minutes each describing only the awesome things in our life right now. A rule that we'll use a timer and each person talks for two minutes and then it's the other person's turn. Or a rule that we can't talk about the future or that we must talk about the future. The delight of games is that, even though it might feel awkward to bring it up at first, it pushes the conversation into new spaces and allows you to relax, participating fully in what the other person is saying without having to think about what you'll say next or how you'll get a word in edgewise. My fiancé and I are fond of playing a pretty straightforward gratitude game where we go back and forth until we've each named five things we're grateful for. Now that this game has become codified into our relationship, we can easily prompt one another to play, even when one of us is in a funky, grumpy mood and doesn't think they want to at first. Hey, you seem like a grump. Let's play the gratitude game. I don't wanna. Come on, I'll start. It's easy. And from there, we know how to play, and soon enough, we've changed our mood and our perspective. So use your imagination and add just a single simple rule, restriction, idea, or challenge to your next catch-up. You'll be amazed at how that small bit of structure automatically invites in greater risk and intimacy. Okay, you got the idea, games. Now let's tune back in wherever it was my audio started recording again.
1: (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Do you want to say the spell again? Because I was looking at it before the spell.
0: Um. <laughs> no. Oh, no. You know what? I I, I I, think I just want to embrace that. Um, this is the game that we're playing. Like, it has been so funny how chaotic and difficult <sighs> and how many failed attempts we've had at trying to record this fucking podcast but it's also been such a lovely excuse to just connect with you and talk with you and engage with you and have a you know a different conversation than we would have if we weren't trying to record something for posterity so i'm going to just say that warts and all this is the podcast that we've created and hopefully there's enough material for us to massage into something but it's okay to to have parts of it off the record and to have things go wrong. And you know that's the dance that you do anytime you're trying to connect with somebody is, hey, what about Friday night? Okay, great. That sounds good. Oh, shoot. Last minute. Can we bump it to Sunday? Uh, yeah. Okay. Sunday works. And then the conversation you have Sunday is not the one that you would have had Friday. So it all works out.
1: And the game I was going to share is if you really knew me. So if you really knew me, you would know that I am a recovering perfectionist and that it has kept me from sharing a lot of my artistic work with the world that I have a novel, a full-length screenplay, a short screenplay, uh, the beginnings of, of a book, a uh, nonfiction book, mm, and all kinds of other essays and 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 pieces that, have never been finished and never been shared because I didn't think that they were good enough and I didn't know how to make them better. And this is the first thing that I've created that I put out into the world regardless of whether I thought it was really ready because Mm -hmm. I thought that the message was more important, was important enough that it needed to go out into the world, even if I didn't have the finest sound equipment or the best editing.
0: Well said. Yeah, when I started this podcast as a ritual, the whole goal of it was to move towards a slightly better reality. And Mm. I wanted the participants to join in that journey. And so one of the things that I did was I didn't let myself go down the rabbit hole of like reading about how to perfectly record your blog and what expensive microphone you need and all of that. And it was like, yep, it's going to sound bad in the beginning. And then eventually I'll buy a better mic and then it will sound better. And then people will have that sense of growth and progress (laughs) (laughs) as they're like, ah, if you listen to the early episodes, they sound kind of crappy. That is something that I struggle with as well of trying to do something and the frustration that one feels when it's just not good immediately, but there's also so much perfection and imperfection. Yeah. <laughs> the obstacles that get in your way are the things that force you to find the, the beautiful scenic route. Like we were supposed to have a dinner party on Thursday with um, this other couple and my fiance had her phone on silent when he was trying to call and arrive. And so we missed him then. And then on Friday there was a miscommunication and we had to reschedule it. And then it ended up being this amazing Saturday sushi dinner party, which like never would have happened if her phone hadn't been on silent. So those, those happy accidents and broken pots and all of those, that's part of the game. So,
1: yes. So here's to wabi-sabi, synchronicity, serendipity, And a slightly better reality.
0: For more of Lila's magic, visit HorizontalWithLila.com or like and subscribe to Horizontal with Lila on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you'd like to join the ongoing magic of this podcast as a ritual, please like, subscribe, follow, or whatever it is you do to pursue podcasts on the platform of your pleasure do that now. Or you can visit my website, personasawake.com, where you can learn more about what exactly it means to be a real-life wizard in the 21st century. Thank you for sharing this space with Lila and I. We both look forward to being together with you all again, lying down in a reality much like this one, except slightly better. Until next time, never forget, I believe in you, your magic is real.
1: If you want to listen to the second half of this conversation, become a patron of the Horizontal Arts on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Horizontal with Lila. And if you can't wait for the next episode, episode 124 and 124 only, you can head over to Devon's. This Podcast as a Ritual feed and listen to the full conversation there. This mashup was mixed and mastered by Irving Godori of IGrecording.com. My cover art was illustrated by Shauna Shea, whom you can hire on 99designs. The remix of my original intro music was created by Kid Mental, whose motto is Theme Songs for Everyone. You can both support a black creator and get a theme song of your very own on Fiverr or on Patreon. Until next time, my horizontal ritualists, my ritual horizontalists, May you have someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. I'm looking forward to completing my camera kit, which is capable of 4K video and professional studio lighting, and finally beginning to shoot my masterclass-style course on connection. For information on that and other future horizontal endeavors, follow Horizontal with Lila on Instagram and sign up for my email missives on horizontalwithlila.com. Thank you for getting ritualistically horizontal.